Today is clear and chilly and very, very windy. This is the first real bit of cold we've had all year, and I'm glad I wore my hat. I was going to record some nice ambient sounds of water and footsteps, but it all just sounds like white noise with the wind. I actually kind of like the cold and the windiness, though, because it reminds me of my days at Penn State, shivering my way to my 9 a.m. studio at Stuckman. I made Logan walk over to the park with me because I hadn't been outside for a couple of days, and neither had he. This was also a good opportunity to break in my new boots. The park is only a few blocks away. We crossed Main Street and turned down Post Office Avenue, and we said hi to the historic black walnut tree on the other side of the street as we made our way down to the end of the block. The road ends here at a steep embankment, and a timber staircase heads down the slope into the park. There's a short length of metal guardrail across the end of the road keeping cars from barreling down the street and over the edge, like the kind that you see on a highway. I really hope that was a preemptive measure. It's not much as far as entrances go, but it doesn't need to be. A sign at the end of the road next to the entrance reads, No parking or standing at any time. Oh wait, sorry, not that sign. I meant to read the sign that says, Welcome to Riverfront Park. Hey there, friends, and welcome to Mud Kitchen, a podcast where we explore the landscapes of our East Coast backyards and meet the makers, doers, stewards, and keepers that work hard for the love of our outdoor spaces and communities. And hopefully we'll all feel a little more connected to our landscapes and to each other. I'm your host, Zoe Roan Hopkins, and today on the pod, we're taking a stroll through Laurel's Riverfront Park. But since this is the first episode and you have no idea who I am or what I'm about, I'm going to tell you a little about my whole deal. Right now, I'm a landscape designer at EnviroCollab. It's a landscape architecture and social design firm in Baltimore. I'm also a collaborator with Grand Projects, which is a public art and placemaking firm, also in Baltimore. But I'm not actually from Maryland. I grew up in central PA with my two moms and my sister. Most of the time that wasn't spent at gymnastics practice was me sitting on the floor in my room making weird art sculptures out of old twist ties and duct tape, or enjoying the great outdoors with my family. My parents took us hiking, camping, backpacking, biking, canoe camping, basically all the types of camping. I learned a lot from them, like how to make a one-match fire, how to paddle a canoe, and how to identify trees. Landscape architecture was the best way to smush art and nature together into a career that could make me a livable wage, so that's what I went to school for. After trying really hard to go to any other school, I finally decided on Penn State. I only say that because an entire side of my family and three-quarters of all of Pennsylvania have all gone to Penn State, and I wanted to do something different. That being said, I actually had a really good time there and learned a lot. After undergrad, I took a quick detour to the Savannah College of Art and Design for a Master's of Industrial Design. When I first started at school, it kind of seemed like all the cool groundbreaking landscape architecture and design stuff was either happening in big cities like New York or Chicago or over on the West Coast. Not that there wasn't interesting stuff happening at home, but a little part of me was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to move across the country and start at some big name firm and do really cool, important design work? But that thought only stuck around for a second because as I got into community design and indigenous science and ecology and native planting, of my home, I felt more deeply connected to the places I lived and worked in. And taking my first steps into the professional world, I realized something. There is a massive, beautiful network of passionate people across the East Coast intertwined in an ecosystem of communities and landscapes. They are artists and scientists and designers, advocates, hikers, climbers, naturalists, and everything in between. 
And I've encountered so many amazing folks as I started my career and have learned about even more people who I hope to meet. And all of them are working for the love of our landscapes and communities on the East Coast. I want this podcast to be like a growing real-time collage of this ecosystem. Every episode adds a new color and shape and texture to the collage and if it all goes well, it will become an ongoing celebration of our place in a big world and the folks that care so deeply for it. It's a place to amplify voices and highlight outdoor spaces all across the East Coast. So where do we start? Well, today, it's all about green space appreciation, Laurel Edition. I hope to make green space appreciation a recurring segment on the podcast to highlight the smaller parks that deserve their time in the spotlight. Anyway, two years ago, Logan and I moved to Laurel, Maryland. Since he worked in D.C. and I worked in Baltimore, Laurel is the perfect halfway point. Oh, Logan, by the way, is my best buddy and a nice fellow that I married, and you'll hear his name from time to time. The city itself actually covers three counties, Prince George's, Howard, and Anne Arundel. It's built on Piscataway and Susquehannock land. The Patuxent River, which now borders Prince George's and Howard County, was an important part of life for the indigenous people of the area. Before white colonialism... Although it's a Baltimore, D.C. suburb, it doesn't feel so isolated and anonymous like a lot of other suburbs in the area. Laurel's been around since the 1800s and operates like a pretty self-contained entity. It's got schools and grocery stores, a government, and a historic district with a main street. It kind of reminds me of the fictitious Pawnee, Indiana from NBC's hit comedy Parks and Rec. The community is tight-knit and the local government has a big role in the city. Our favorite green space in Laurel since moving to the area is Riverfront Park. The park is a linear green space about a mile and a half long that more or less parallels Laurel's Main Street. There are several entrances to the park, all connecting to a winding asphalt path that follows the Patuxent River. It says river on Google Maps, but size-wise, this stretch is more like a creek. You'll find a playground, pavilions, benches, and picnic tables as you stroll through. When the leaves are out, the forest casts dappled shade across the park. It's a great place to escape from the summer heat because it's always several degrees cooler than the surrounding area. But today, the shade makes the chilly air even chillier. We took the timber steps down the steep embankment and into the park. The wind isn't so strong at the bottom of the embankment, but against the sky, you can see the bare branches of trees swaying back and forth. It's actually very calming to watch. At first glance, the park looks like a playground for invasive species. With all the leaves gone, it's easy to see the English ivy and oriental bittersweet that wraps the tree trunks all over the woods. Kudzu vines drape over the canopies. And in spring and summer, Japanese knotweed lines the riverbanks, unless your celandine carpets the forest floor. If you're not familiar with invasive species, I'll give you a quick rundown. Basically, there are plants from other continents that wound up here, and their uncontrollable spread causes environmental damage. Some are plants that escape cultivation and spread by accident, Others snuck in right under our noses. Anything from a shipping container to the sole of a shoe could be the reason we have an invasive plant in the area today. The issue with these plants is that they do not evolve with the local flora and fauna of the area, and they don't have any natural predators. Because of that, the plants spread wildly, outcompeting native plants for resources like nutrients, water, and light. When the amount of native plants shrinks, the amount of native animals it can support also shrinks. People have differing opinions on the invasive species epidemic and what we should be doing about it. And I am absolutely not an expert, but I get a sort of existential dread just seeing an endless swath of invasive species and thinking about the impact they've had on our landscape. Once you look past the invasive plants though, you'll find that this park is actually a vibrant wildlife corridor supporting all sorts of native plants and critters. 
There are the river birches, maples, oaks, and sycamores along the riverbanks. We've also seen deer, bunnies, squirrels, cardinals, kingfishers, herons, and even a beaver on our walks. A beaver and laurel. It was on one sunny day when we decided to step out for a bit. And when we saw the beaver hanging out in the river, we sat down in the grass and watched it munch away on a thicket of Japanese knotweed. It would snip off a stem with its teeth and eat the leaves off, corncob style, then send the stem down the river. It's clear that the beaver had been eating for some time because not too far down the stream, a mass of stems had pulled behind a rock. I've never been able to see a beaver this close, just going about its business. I've also never seen a beaver eat Japanese knotweed, although this is apparently something that beavers do sometimes. They've been reported sightings at Nine Mile Run Restoration Area in Pittsburgh and across the country at Williams Creek Preserve in Williams, Oregon. There's also an adorable video shot at Port Dickinson Community Park in Port Dickinson, New York, of a beaver waddling into a knotweed thicket, emerging moments later with a thick stem and then swimming to the middle of the river to eat. In the background of the video, you can see several other defoliated knotweed stems floating down the river. Oh, and P.S., you can find the links to all of this research I used for the episode in the show notes. On our winter hike today, we decided to head towards the dam. We passed one of my favorite gorilla art installations. It's a decaying log that leans towards the path and it was cut down to about eye level and someone added eyes and a cheery smile to the flat face of the stump. The eyes used to be the googly type, but it looks like they've been replaced with bottle caps nailed into the tree and the nail heads make it look like pupils. I like that someone took the time to come back down and replace the googly eyes with a more durable solution. Past the smiling log, we walked under the creepy highway bridge behind the Laurel Historical Society building and by the municipal pool. I'm definitely appreciating the relative flatness of this path today since I've been recovering from a complete ACL reconstruction surgery for I think about four months now. It's been fun, but not really that fun to have a new appreciation for ADA design. How did I tear my ACL, you may ask? Well, let's just say that if you're not doing gymnastics on a regular basis for several years and you decide to do gymnastics again, you're gonna regret it. Next to the road for the pool entrance is an area with a cleared out understory planted with a bunch of young trees. Just like the beavers, local environmental group Laurel for the Patuxent has been working on a riverfront restoration project. This one involves invasive species removal and native tree planting. The invasive plant understory has been cleared using a forestry mulching technique and has been replaced with native trees and shrubs. The group also has volunteer days to do spot removal of invasive species along the park. These kinds of projects take a lot of time, energy, and money, and it's really wonderful to see people who care about the waterfront doing the hard work to revitalize it. We keep walking and eventually make it to a little parking lot. It's the parking lot that Logan used when he used to live in Silver Spring and would drive up to the park for fishing. He told me that every spring the stream gets stocked with brown trout. Logan's caught several falls fish and trout while fly fishing in the river. I myself am not one for fishing, but I think it's great to have a healthy waterway within walking distance to catch some fish. Getting closer to the dam, the path transitions from asphalt to a dirt trail. The dam is in ruins now. They blew it up in the mid-1900s, but it used to be a dam for a cotton mill when Laurel's economy was all about milling, around the mid-1800s. One of the informational signs along the path says the dam was 222 feet high. It's hard to imagine this small valley being submerged behind a dam that tall. Beyond the dam is a much more rugged and rocky trail that disappears under the duff and deposit left behind by high water. It's peaceful, despite being so close to the highway. I highly recommend sitting on a rock and just listening to the water. 
I think this park is special. I never thought I'd be able to live somewhere with access to not just a riverfront, but a riverfront surrounded by woodland, with banks lined with trees and shrubs, instead of being forced into a concrete channel and surrounded by buildings. It's a green space accessible to the whole community, being cared for by the community. If you're in the Laurel area and looking for a nice shady spot to set up a picnic, do some fishing or wildlife watching, stop by Laurel's Riverfront Park for a stroll. Thank you for listening to this very first episode. I hope it brought you joy or at least wasn't the worst thing you've heard today. You can find the link to today's show notes in the episode description. And if you want to get in touch about a cool place I should explore, a cool person I should know, or a delicious restaurant I should try in the DMV area, or if you want to share some info on something I've already mentioned in the podcast, or if you just want to say hi, I mean, it's all on the table, you can email me at mudkitchenpod at gmail.com. Also, follow the show on Instagram at mudkitchenpod. I'll be posting when new episodes drop and other silly things I'm up to on there. And maybe social media isn't your thing. You can sign up for our email list at mudkitchenpod.com and get updates directly into your mailbox. If you didn't catch all that, don't worry. Just check the episode description. Oh, wait. Before we go, we're going to take a quick trip to the Shoutout Shack. The Shoutout Shack is the place where I shout out some cool things that I'm enjoying right now that maybe but are probably not relevant to the podcast. Today, I want to shout out the board game Root. It's a game of woodland might and right. Each person plays as a different woodland faction, and all are fighting for control over the woodland. 30 points wins this game, but the play is asymmetrical, meaning that each player has different actions and rules they need to follow to gain points. My friends and I are obsessed. It's amazing. Also, the art is top-notch. Thanks for hanging on to the end. You are a true hero. Mud Kitchen is created, produced, and hosted by me, Zoe Roan Hopkins. Our theme song is by me and Logan Staley. Special thanks to all the people I bothered about this idea before it even had a name. And special thanks specifically to Macy Nelson from the Landscape Nerd Podcast. I can't believe you took the time to chat with me about this, but I am so, so thankful that you did. You gave me the confidence to keep going. Until next time, stay awesome, stay curious, and stay muddy, buddies. <laughs>